0: We will be looking over the next twelve years. No. <laughs> next few months. Verse twenty two through chapter twelve, verse four. What I call proof of an apostle. Proof of an apostle. Second Corinthians eleven twenty two through twelve four. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three days I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen and dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Antarctic under Aretas... The king was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which the man is not permitted to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the amazing things You do. And Lord, uh, I pray as we move into this text... We understand, first and foremost, how difficult it was for the Apostle Paul to even mention this. And yet, Father, in this, we see the height of his humility. And Father, I pray that we, um, and every one of us, struggle with pride. That, Father, we will look at this man and with a great awe, strive to walk as Paul walked. Father, it is a battle. You know it is a battle. And Father, help us. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To your glory and praise. Amen. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the fact that false apostles had come into Corinth after he had left and were trying to discredit the Apostle Paul. One of the things that you see, and I shared with you when we moved into chapter 10, that we would be dealing through chapter 13, well, almost 13, with spiritual warfare, spiritual conflict. What is it? And you know, and it's it's not what Hollywood will tell you. Okay? There's not demons running around with fangs and wings and pitchforks and weird stuff like that. All right? Now listen, I do believe in fallen angels. Now, that, that's not what I'm saying. But we get in our minds that we have all of this antichrist stuff attacking us. I would highly suggest Hollywood read the first two chapters of Job. Okay, because if they would read that text, you will find out that God is in control. They're not. And if you are attacked by a demon, God wants you attacked by a demon. Okay, and that's between you and God. And then I would tell you, read Job. (laughs) All right, because Job was the most righteous man in the East. All right, so whatever you think you're going through, read Job. All right. So, but But I share this because the attack that comes from our adversary is to attack the individual, their character. Let me sow a seed of doubt. Remember the first attack, the first ever spiritual battle? It hasn't changed. The first ever battle? Has God said? Guess what the battle is today? Has God said? Alright? So what happens is that if you have a servant of the Lord, a true man of God, or a woman of God, who is bringing forth the truth in the power of the Spirit, when the opportunity comes, they will attack the messenger. See, the message stands up to Scripture. All right. And when, when when it's standing up to Scripture, I can hold it up and say, well, that's not right. All right. And, and you've got to be careful about this. Uh, I just had a discussion just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a guy went to heaven. And uh, he, he came back. And I said, darn, no. Um, and he... And I sat there and I said, well, you know, as I read it, it says it's given to man to die once and then there is judgment. And it doesn't have a parenthesis with your name in it. All right. And he said, well, God sent me back because God has important things for me to do. I rest my case. OK, because I hate to break the news to you. If you're a Christian, God has important things for you to do. Right until you die, and then you hear, "Well done, true and faithful servant," or you hear, "Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do signs and wonders in your name?" And he will say, "Away from me, I never knew you." Those are the two options. All right. So, but that's the battle because the battle is speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of God, and we do that. I watch it all the time. And people just, it's, shall I say it's annoying? Yeah, that's probably a good term. That's what they had done to the Apostle Paul. And now Paul is moving in. And and what we looked at over the last couple of weeks, uh, five weeks, is his disclaimers. That I'm being forced to defend myself. I'm being forced to boast about what God has done through me. Right? That's difficult. It's very difficult. Because how do you explain this is what my ministry is? And not be boasting and maintain your humility. I mean, probably the greatest classic example of a Christian is humility, a true Christian. In verse twenty two, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Okay? Paul takes a stand to defend his ministry. Alright, he boasts. He uses the term boast. And it, it literally means to defend. He's defending the superiority of his calling because the false were coming in saying that they were in the Greek. You could literally translate it Super apostles. And so the Apostle Paul says, well, if they're super apostles, I'm a super duper apostle. All right. And that's what he's going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. All right. They claim to be apostles. And yet, while Paul says, this is my calling as an apostle. This is my proof as an apostle. This is my credentials as an apostle. While showing this, he has to maintain his humility. All right. Let me tell you something. That's a challenge. That is an absolute challenge. I listen to pastors today and they will boast on how many people they have. Not what the fruit is, but look at the numbers, and you know, when I think about it, I was just talking to Jeff, I think it was last week, and, and when I think about this congregation, when we lose one, we gain one. When we lose two, we gain two. Okay? And that, that's just, it's the way it's been since I've been the pastor of this church. And yet, when I think about it, we, all the, we have an orphanage. We have all these church plants in India, all these church plants in in Russia. And what's going on with Pastor Paul in Burma and the building that we built for him and his uh, education center and the churches. And I'm sitting there going, looking around saying, that's not bad for 35 people. OK, but you know what's cool about it? We can't take credit for it. See, if we were 2,000 strong, we can say we got 2,000 people. Look at what we did. We can't. We can't take credit for it. We paid last year, we paid for all the summer camps in Orel, All of them. Three summer camps. 400 kids exposed to the gospel of Christ who had never been exposed to the gospel of Christ. How do we do that? All right. So you see what I'm saying? Why? We can't touch that glory. And one of the things that I've seen, that is a challenge to say, look at what God has done without saying, look at what I have done. Okay. and that's, you know, I I was having a discussion, you know, you know, well, I was maybe I was out of the will of God because you spend a little time in the wilderness. Well, no, you're not. God says you need to go spend some time in the wilderness. Why? Because you didn't get the memo. All right. I mean, I watch people say, well, you know, I turned my back on God. Well, if he's omnipresent, how you do that? I don't know how you do that. And and I want people to understand this because when you see God doing something, don't touch the Glory. The apostle Paul understood how hard this was. Paul knows what a challenge this is to defend himself in this boasting manner and yet remain humble. And there's a tension that is there. Why? He's being forced to defend himself. And it's difficult. He's being forced to show that he is superior to his accusers. He's being forced to show he's superior to the false. Yet, at the same time, he can't compromise his humility. Now, let me tell you something. That's hard. That is very, very hard. Because we—it it is so simple for us to brag about ourselves. It's so easy for us to say, look at what I accomplished. Right? Isn't it? You guys don't have a problem with that? I'm the only one in this room who has a problem with that. Look what I did. God says, well, look what I'm going to (laughs) do. Okay? But, But do you see what I'm trying to get at? I watch people deal with this all the time. This is a common thing. All right? The thing that has been amazing to me in my time with the Apostle Paul in this letter is how painful it is for Paul to even attempt it. To even attempt it. It was probably the most undesirable thing he could ever do. And yet he was being forced to do it. And I mean, very often people are not forced to do it. They just feel like they should toot their horn. And in some cases, I just look at him and I said, and you have your glory. In doing so, the Apostle Paul turns out to be one of the most insightful texts of Scripture. Perhaps the greatest example, just by him defending, the greatest example of humility apart from Christ himself. If you read through this text and you're honest to the text... When you see him explain what he... Most people will drop down into... I went to the third heaven. I don't know whether it was in the body or in the spirit or that. And see there, he's talking about going to heaven and coming back. Okay? But you better read the text. Because the text, it's part of the flow. And it says, you know what? Because you know where it says, there was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan... Okay, for what reason? To keep him humble. So he didn't run around saying, hey, I went to heaven. Uh, uh, uh. And we walked over Hill and Dale together. Okay, but he says, what I saw there, I can't even speak about. It. Why? But, you know, because people say, well, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, would you like to spend the rest of your time down here with a messenger from Satan, a thorn in your flesh? Not me, man. I don't know. Some of you guys are saying, you are. No. (laughs) You're just a pain in my you. Anyway. The real test of a man's humility is how humble can he be explaining his ministry? How humble can you be explaining your ministry? Okay. How can you boast of what is true about yourself and remain humble? Okay. And yet the apostle Paul is being forced to show his superiority. And you know what? He does so. And you know what is amazing? He never compromises his humility. Never does. Now, you got to remember, 2 Corinthians was written as a defense of his ministry. It was to encourage those who had been restored. And the church in Corinth had walked away from the Apostle Paul because they had taken the seeds of doubt and they started believing him. They started believing these super apostles who had come from Jerusalem. These mega apostles. But he had confronted them with a letter called the severe letter, and it had brought many back. But you have to understand something. The false, the accusers, those who would want to sow that seed of doubt, they're not gone. Why? They're making a living here. They're not going to leave. So the Apostle Paul is going to say, I'm superior to them. Remember in verse 4, chapter 11. They have a different Jesus. They have a different spirit. They have a different gospel. Do you understand how important that is? It's not like they're kind of crooked. Or maybe they're just a little unlearned. They're running around charging money, claiming to be superior, and they're not giving truth. They were disguised as angels as ministers of light. They're disguised as servants of righteousness. They were busy about their father's work. The father of lies. And they had seduced the Corinthians into believing the lies and they did it by attacking the Apostle Paul. Let me cause you to doubt the Apostle Paul. And Paul confronts this. And many were turning back. Many were coming back. Remember chapter seven of second Corinthians. That relationship had been restored, but it was weak, very weak. And you have to understand that if they've turned your back on you once, how solid is it? So he writes this letter, second Corinthians. See, throughout history, the false have to discredit the true. For whatever reason. Whatever reason. Let me attack the person. Why? You can't attack truth. You cannot attack truth. You know what? Today we have the scriptures. But as usual, guess what? The scriptures are under greater attack right now than any time in church history. Did you know that? You know where the attack's coming from? The church. They said 43% of believers today believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. 43%. You know how sad that is? They don't believe the book. But they will believe parts of the book. Well, let me tell you something. I'll use... The creation evolution argument. If God can't get that right, explaining it to us, how does he get salvation right? You know, people ask me and they say, well, you know, science says this and science says that and intelligent people say this and intelligent people say that. Why are you so adamant in a young earth? Because Jesus believed it. Oh, did I tell you he was there? He was an eyewitness to it. Were you there? Oh, you weren't. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. I want to listen to an eyewitness. He believes in seven days. Okay. That works. And then so you ask the antagonist. Well, what day is it? Well, it's Monday. Why is it Monday? Do you know it's Monday like on the globe? See what I'm trying to get at? If he can't get the creation event right, how do I know he can get the salvation event right? And all you have to do is, has God said? What? Just a seed of doubt. That's all it is. Just a seed of doubt. They discredit the true. Why? Because they can't attack The truth. Now, the Corinthians would have access to the Old Testament. They would not have had access to the New Testament. Alright? So, they're learning. The New Testament's in the process of being written. It was being compiled. I can defend what I say by the Scriptures. Old and New Testament. Alright? This is why I believe this. But what happens, and it still happens today, they want to attack the messenger. Why? Because if I can get... That person discredited even it's have you noticed today our society? All I have to do is say it. And it's true. You don't have no. And I mean, that's across the board. It, it isn't the Democrats or Republicans or this or that or the other people just, just poof, I say it. And therefore. And you're like, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. But if you think about it truthfully, haven't we always been that way? Haven't we always been that way? And all you have to do is throw the accusation out there. And guess what? You just open the door just to crack. And then the person has a seed of doubt and the seed of doubt will grow from that point on. People of Corinth loved the Apostle Paul. I believe that there was probably a greater bond of love between Paul and Corinth than any church that Paul was de- had dealt with. Okay, why? Four letters, three trips. Uh, and that's after spending two years with him. He didn't do that with anybody else. And you can say, well, nobody else was as stupid as them. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Go read 1 Timothy and ask yourself, where is Timothy at? In Ephesus. And he spent two years there. And guess what? Duh. Okay, why? All you have to have is a seed of doubt. As a seed of doubt. It's one of the great tragedies that I see in the evangelical community is everybody has multiple Bibles, multiple translations. You know, I mean, you can look on... You can get them on your phone now. And I, I, Yeah, I need the print smaller. Help me with that. Okay, you know, just, you know, let's see if I can't wear out my squinter. Okay, because I got a guy who says, well, you need to get it on your phone. No, I don't. I need to get large print. Okay, and I mean large enough. I can set it on that back wall and read it. All right. Why? The tragedy is no one reads it. Or they read it haphazardly. Read the letter. It was written as a letter. If you get a love letter from your significant other, do you just read the end? Well, I think I'm just going to go with the second paragraph. I don't really care what else she said to me. Really? Well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? I get a love letter from God, and I'm just going to read the introduction. No, read the whole thing. Well, I don't like to read that much. Then go with Philemon. Gee, get you a little letter. And then grow. It isn't that difficult. I hate reading. I believe if God wanted me to read that much, He wouldn't have made cassette tapes. Okay? But for whatever reason, he said, now you gotta read. And then they gotta say, well, hey, you can get it. And see, look how small we can get the print now. Hallelujah. Okay. You couldn't do that when I was 16. So what they, we don't ever prove it. What do they say? You know, I listen to people talk who claim to be quote unquote authoritarian on what the scripture says. And I just want to at times say, Have you not read? I mean, it's just like, well, I went to heaven. Well, happy new year. Okay. You know what? You don't believe me? No. Why? Because I believe the Bible. It is given to man to die once. And there's no exception. Well, he raised Lazarus. He hadn't atoned for sin. Okay, let's keep it on. You know, I'm telling you. Anyway, these people had come in and had assaulted Paul's character. And it had some success. And they had basically forced the Apostle Paul to defend himself. If you read this whole letter in its entirety, uh, in one section, you realize that all throughout this letter, he is defending what he's doing and what he has done. Okay, and what happens beginning in verse 22 and following is pretty impressive because he was dealing with the innuendos up until this time. Things that were perhaps Paul, you know, perhaps Paul's message couldn't be that important because he didn't take any money from you. So how important could his message be? Okay. That is how it really gets started. If you really got an important message, then it should be of great value. If it's of great value, then you should charge for it. Alright? Beginning of verse 22 and following is really an impressive section of Scripture because he flat out, face up, mano a mano, compares himself to the false. False. Okay. And, and again, I get back to that little sick sense of humor I have of them reading this to the congregation and getting to this section. Okay. Because the false would be sitting there going, man, he's just being snarky. And then all of a sudden he says, yeah, well, here's my life and here's their life. All right. He contrasts. And when he gets done, he says, who's superior? Who's superior? He is better than the false. And you know what? It's still probably the hardest thing for the apostle Paul to do. I don't think of anything that in his life that he would deem harder than having to defend himself. And yet he finds it easier and it's, and if you're really honest with yourself, think about this for a second. Paul's life, if you look at it, It was easier for him. And if you think it's less complicated, all right, to be meek and lowly. My grandpa used to say it this way, better to be quiet and thought foolish than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay. And I see that a lot. There are people who just like to talk. Now I'm not against talking. All right. That's that's not what I'm saying. But you know what? Sometimes you might want to listen to what you're saying. Because sometimes you're sitting there going, well, that's kind of dumb. Now, I don't run around and tell everybody that anytime somebody says something stupid, though there has been times I felt like it. All right. All right. So but I I share that because we need to understand Paul's defense of himself as was I'm the chief of sinners. I have no idea why I even got saved. I was a murderer. I was an enemy to the gospel. I was an enemy to Christ. And he doesn't like to speak of his superiority, even though, even though it's true. It's true. If you remember chapter 10, verse 13 and following. But we are not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure, as Reach as far as you. You see that? Listen, I, I hear people, and the tragedy is that a lot of times it's pastors, and they try to outdo one another. Well guess what I did? Well guess what I did? Well you know what I'm gonna do? And guess what I did? And you just sit there and you go, you sound like a bunch of junior high kids. Verse 14, we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you with the gospel, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with hope that as our your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. See, he never went beyond what was true about his ministry. It's, it's, it's like... When I hear people do special speaking engagements, they'll come away and and you usually know how many people are there. Uh, I remember one time down in, uh, where was it, Albuquerque, big old honking church. And, uh, you know, there was a bunch of people, (laughs) you know, they said, well, you know, we've got 1,500 registered. Well, there's a bunch of them. Now, I don't know if all 1,500 showed up and I don't care because all I know is there's a bunch of people. All right. But I watch people. And if you see them, they always want to round it up. All right. You know, when you baptize somebody or you do a wedding for somebody, you know how many you do. I can tell you how many weddings I've done since I've been a pastor. The exact number. it's really easy for me. I don't do that many. But anyway, <laughs> you guys think, wow, that's pretty impressive. No, man, six, <laughs> six in 20 years. There you go, guys. All right. But but you see what I'm trying to say? But I watch people and they will always inflate it. Why is that? Paul never overstated his case. This is what I have done. Paul would only speak of what was real. Paul would only speak with what was genuine. And you know what? Even doing that, it was extremely hard for him. And yet this defense must be started. It must be done. Verse 12 of chapter 10. We are not bold to class or to compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves... They're without understanding. There's a slap in the chops. When you're the standard, then what's the standard? You. But he says, I wasn't eager. I wasn't bold to do this. Verse 21. To my shame, I say this of chapter 11. I shame. I say this. I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect, anyone else is bold. I speak foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Okay, that's his disclaimers. He has a series of them. Why? He's, I don't want to do this. Why? This boasting to defend myself is foolishness. This boasting to defend myself is fleshly. It, and over and over and over through this letter, he doesn't like it because it is distasteful to him. The false set the agenda. The false will always brag. Okay. They always want to tell you. Guess what I did. Guess who I talked to. Guess the crowd we drew. And I, and I see that. And, and churches have bought into it. Churches, churches are even doing it. I, I, there's a website that you can find for churches that are looking for pastors and pastors that are looking for churches. And you read through it, and it, it's sometimes it's my comic relief. Because I read through this, you don't even have to know what the Bible says. There was a job position here in Castle Rock, uh, administrative pastor. I think that's what it was. I don't remember what it was. They've got so many names for pastors now that I'm, I forgot. Okay. And they had a list of what they were requiring for this position. Okay. And you go through the... Uh, you had to have a, a master's in business or accounting or something. You had to have this and that. And like the fifth thing down, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. <laughs> I would want my first six to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care whether you can count or not. All right. And and, and I'm sitting there going, well, what, what's wrong with that picture? The false had set this agenda for the Apostle Paul. They had forced him to do something he doesn't like to do. And he doesn't have a model. He doesn't have an example of Jesus Christ doing this. So he's not sure how to do that. He doesn't want to do that. Because if Christ didn't need to do it, why should he? Alright? He doesn't want to follow an example of the false. I listen to the false. Listen to how many personal pronouns they use in their conversation. Okay. I mean, that's the biggest ringer that's out there. The false boast all the time. And yet, Paul has no, no choice. Why? Because it's like I said, verse 4, chapter 11. If one comes preaching another Jesus, whom I have not preached. You receive him a different spirit. You receive him a different gospel. You bear it beautifully. That's the danger. They come boasting. But they have a different Jesus. They come boasting. They have a different spirit. They come boasting. They have a different message. Paul understood to preserve the gospel, to protect the church, and to honor the Lord, he must show that he is superior. He must show you had better listen to me and not them. Listen. The false will be rejected when they compare, compare Paul to them. Then their message will be rejected. So you can see this is necessary. And it all leads here to verse 22. Okay. And he begins by saying, okay, I'm an apostle. All right. Now listen. Some of you, I'm going to reiterate this because it seems to be growing again. The office of apostle. Okay, the Greek term "apostolon" means a sent messenger. All right, that makes me an apostle. I'm a sent messenger. Okay, there's a key to it. Sometimes when you read it, you will run into something that is a definite article. All right, two things about that term. That, for whatever reason, we have not read. Alright? One. The definite article apostle was called by the resurrected Christ face to face. Got it? One thing. They were all face to face with the resurrected Christ. Alright? Alright? Two. Are you ready? They're all Jewish. You will not find the uh, Timothy called an apostle. He's half Greek. Luke was not an apostle. He was all Greek. They were Jewish. That's when you read this text, it says, are they Hebrews? Wonder what that'd be speaking of. Jewish. Are they Israelites? Hmm. Jewish. Are they descendants of Abraham? Jewish. Do you see that? So when you think of the office, of Apostle. If you just want to take apostolon, Then if you share the gospel with someone. You are a sent messenger. God gave you the message. And you delivered it. Okay. That means you are a messenger. Okay. It's so, like the guy who brings your mail. Alright. But if you look at the office of Apostle. They were called by the resurrected Christ. And they all are. Jewish. Alright, so when you think about apostle, Paul is getting ready to present his apostolic credentials. And this is tremendously fascinating. He makes a distinction between 22 and 25, verses 22 and 25. He gives us the power of his, an example of his humility, because he shows us his humility in comparing himself to these false. Now, if you look in verse 22, you see there three times... Three times, you see this. I am, or or so am I. Okay, so am I. See that? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Descendants of Abraham? So am I. You know what he just says there? When it comes to that line, I'm equal to them. These guys who are bringing the accusations, so am I. So, when it comes to the ethnicity of being in the office of apostle, guess what? So am I. Alright? So, he can start, he starts his, the contrast right off the bat saying, we're equal on that. They got nothing on me on that. Okay? But if you look at verse 23, what does it say? Are they servants of Christ? I speak of as if insane. I more so, far more labor, in far more imprisonments. Okay? He uses that twice. I more so, and then far more. Okay? He's bringing... So, now, I've moved from, I'm equal. Now, I exceed you. Alright? Then it just goes downhill from there for the false. Alright? So... He shows in 22 that he's equal with these false teachers. But in 23, he shows that he is superior to these false teachers. He starts out with, so am I. And then I am more so. Okay. I'm going to deal with each of these next week. You know, because, you know, I look at it and say, well, you could have just wrote it one time and says, are they Jews? (laughs) But he doesn't. He uses Israelites, Hebrews, and Abraham. Why? They're all the same. Ah, I thought you'd never ask. But you have to come back next week. Paul says, my superiority is that I am more so. And from there, verse 23 to the end of 13 in chapter 12, you see why he is more so. But he starts off with what you could call equal footing. Okay? Equal footing of an apostle. Now the office of apostle. Alright? There's equal footing. You know what it is? Their heritage. Alright? But I want you to remember the whole, when we start getting into this as we continue to move through it, I want you to understand how difficult this is for the apostle Paul. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother, Paul. Lord, uh, thank you for this church, what they mean to me. And Father, I just pray that uh, we will bow our knees before you who are worthy and only you. And that, Father, we would understand you set the path for humility. And yet, Father, you give us the Apostle Paul to see it. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk as Paul. Help us to understand there is a battle. Battle against a different Jesus. Battle against a different Spirit. Battle against a different gospel. And yet, Father, you have put each of us here for a time such as this. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand the urgency of the day. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, overwhelmed by your presence. We love you. And we thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.